Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Torn to five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tigertown. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? Hi. <laughs> uh, it's us. It's the breakdown. Yeah, thank you for listening Rocking to the beats. <laughs> it just, sure. uh, I thought I'd change it up this week. You know, just throw it on mute, yell at them, wake them up, make them realize that it is indeed Ray Cup week here on Canadian Football Perspective. Uh, we didn't have a chance to do the breakdown last week because DT was getting all set for the Western Final, uh, which unfortunately for anybody listening to this who is a Riders fan, I know we have many of you. I've seen where the downloads come from, and we've got that sweet, sweet Derek Taylor, Derek Taylor uh, poll on the <laughs> CFP downloads in Western Canada, but uh, that was a crazy one. Uh, that was uh, listening. What do you mean? Uh, just... Freezing cold, blowing wind, six six turnovers, three interceptions by the winning quarterback. Uh, Nick Dembski <laughs> with the drop of a lifetime that gave Ed Ganey an incredible interception. Uh, Zach Caleros uh, hammers one right into Nigel Harris's belly button and then comes back and absolutely, he's like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to dime this in between three people because I'm Zach Caleros, the MOP, and you're not. It was, uh, it was a crazy game. It was nuts. I, I feel like we have really overanalyzed this year because when I was going through trying to get ready for this great cup this week, I looked at a bunch of different things. And then one of the things that I have is on, you know, heat maps and all the rest of it that I put together. I use the quarterback headshots and to try and keep them real and, and kind of timely. I like to use the quarterback headshots from the actual year in which I am putting the information. And I put together Zach's 2019 heat chart going into the gray cup against Hamilton versus his 2021 heat chart going into the gray cup against Hamilton. And as I'm looking at it and there's all these numbers and all these colors and all this information, and I'm trying to understand it. I, I thought to myself, I think we could have just boiled this down to the fact that Zach's headshot in 2019, he looks like he's there for business. And Zach's headshot in 2021, he looks like he's just getting off of a surfboard and wants to come in and have a Corona with you. I'm like, it's the amount of relaxed, um, I would say calm that he has brought to that huddle this season where like, I don't know what he did in the year off and his lower body, his base, his movement skills, all the rest, but it's like, he just kind of like, you know, does the Zach stuff, shuffles around, finds an open man, moves the sticks, doesn't really get too excited. The most excited you'll see him get in this gray cup, even if they're winning by 30, is a small little fist pump and a spin. Like, that's just kind of who he is at this point. So when I when I hear you talk about, yeah, Zach just comes back the other direction and flings it down the field and throws it into double coverage, I'm like, it totally fits because the more that I've watched of him this week going back trying to understand his game this year, the more I've realized that the overwhelming theme is just, super comfortable, super happy, knows where to put the football. I mean, even the game in BC where he set a new career high for himself in completion percentage where he throws for over 400 yards, there's a throw where Drew Wolitarski, who's not typically one of his vertical threats, is running down the seam to the field side. He sprints out to the right because he gets pressure from the pocket, and he back shoulders Drew Wolitarski in the middle of the field. Like, the defender is running down the field. They're both looking over their shoulders, and then Drew just... Uh, sorry, uh, Zach, uh, Zach just throws it to the back shoulder and Drew just leans back and catches it before the corner falls off. And I watched that and I'm like, that's not a thing. 
that's not a thing that any quarterback is ever supposed to do. But with him, he's like, I don't know. He was open. I just threw it over there and he made the play. Well, and that was that was Hamilton Zach, right? Before that last season, he started that last season 0 and 8. And you could tell that the offensive line was really troubled at that time, right? And you're like, this isn't Zach. This isn't who he was pre-knee injury. He goes to Saskatchewan. Eh, this isn't him. When he got to Winnipeg, and I said it on the radio the day he got traded to Winnipeg, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm scared of Winnipeg right now. Forget it. Yeah. Uh, and boom, great cup. Boom, unbelievable this year, the MOP. And just the man has no fear. And honestly, he doesn't. The, the neat thing about Zach is he doesn't seem like he's an overwhelming physical presence, right? Like he's not Mike Riley size for CFL quarterbacks, or he's not Taylor Cornelius size. Uh, and by the way, he's also not Doug Flutie size. So he's, he's this happy medium. Yeah. Uh, no one is better at handling pressure. And maybe he brings it on himself, but no one is better at handling pressure than Zach Caleros. I was just running through the numbers as we're getting set to talk here. And uh, Caleros is under pressure actually quite a bit this season, well over 30% of the time. Uh, actually, right at 30% of the time. Uh, never mind, Marshall. I'm all over the place here. 35% <laughs> of the time. There we go. Tis Mo the season as we get numbers organized and we look back and we look forward and we think about free agency and yeah, there's numbers yeah. all over the place. <laughs> so he's, he's under pressure about a third of his snaps, but uh, when he is pressured, he's only sacked 11% of the time, which the league average is about 20. Wow. So that's Zach just, Hey, I'm going to go back this way. I know where this is going to happen. I'm cool. I'm calm. He's a, he's a different kind of calm from a guy like Bo Levi Mitchell Guys, entertaining. Oh, it's entertaining to see. Yeah. Except when he's raining it against the team that you call games for. <laughs> and it's not as fun, but the rest I, of the time. I found it intriguing how Kenny Lawler, obviously, throughout this year, everything has gone through him. It used to be Darvin Adams a little bit. Then it became Kenny Lawler. The thing I really think might be the key in this Grey Cup, though, is... Um, the more I look at it, Rashid Bailey feels like the key to so much of what they do. Like his efficiency rating for Zach this year was 111. That was 10 points better than second nice. place in the league. And so much of that, I believe, goes through Rashid Bailey, which is not something because I think if you say to somebody who are the best players on the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, what they're going to say is Andrew Harris, Zach Kalaros, Willie Jefferson, Jackson Jeffcoat, Adam Big Hill. After that, you might get into, well, I've been really impressed by Brandon Alexander at free safety or, you know, a, a real diehard fan might say, we've got some really good play from Alden Darby at Sam Linebacker throughout the year. But there's not a lot of people, I think, that are going to know Rashid Bailey as a household name. But when you go back through and you look at who Zach targets and where he has success targeting certain receivers, Rashid does a lot of great stuff for them in that offense. And it feels like he, you know, if, if Hamilton decides we're going to try to focus a little bit here on um, on Kenny Lawler, the way that they did in a playoff game in 2018, the Eastern semifinal against BC, where they said, we're just not going to let Brian Burnham beat us. Like, we're going to roll the free safety over the top, or we're going to find ways to try and take him out of the game. If they go to that approach, and Rasheed Bailey could have a 100-yard receiving game in this one, and we could all be looking around and going, uh, where didn't we see that one coming from? But that's what Zach is about too, right, is – dispersing the football to wherever it needs to go. He's not one of those guys who's going to just say, well, I have to get Kenny Lawler 10, 10 targets in this game. Therefore, I'm going to jam it into him. If the coverage dictates, Zach's going to be like, cool, I'll beat you with Nick Dembski and Rasheed Bailey over here. Yeah. I've been just fascinated by how well this Winnipeg offense works. And I end up attributing it a bunch to Zach and the line in front of him. Because when I look at the five receivers they roll out there, that is not the most talented five receiver group in the CFL. No, uh, I was just trying to run through them in my mind. Uh, start of the season, I would have said Edmonton. I would have said BC ahead of them. I sure would have said Hamilton, Montreal, 
I probably would have said Toronto, though some of those guys were a little longer in the tooth. It's it's not the there's not the most uh, talented group, I think. But man, there's some real personalities in there, and the way Buck Pierce can use those. Hey, it's Nick Dembski. I'm going to run him on a corner route or a post, or actually, you know what? I'm going to have him do a carry out of the backfield, or he's the jet sweep guy. And the, you talked about Bailey, and there's always a threat of Darvin Adams, though the season hasn't been. And Kenny Lawler is going to lead the league in receiving. And oh, hey, by the way. Well, Tarski is going to make a play near in the end zone. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's really, I really feel like, and I don't know what the, the genesis of it is, but I really feel like that whole offense just makes that receiving core look better than it, than it truly, truly is. If you took all their Madden level skills, right. Yeah. They'd be 83s, but they're playing like 94s. Yeah. It's a great point. I, I love to, in the CFL, and this is one of my favorite things, I think from my, my understanding through time of the CFL studying it a little bit more is that there's there's your robin right there's your batman and then there's your oh yeah that guy and and drew Wolitarski <laughs> is the oh yeah that guy because you for, you completely forget about him you don't think oh he's not the craziest athletic guy he's not going to catch the deep ball he's not gonna, until he does and mm-hmm. then and then all of a sudden you're like oh yeah that guy like I, I forgot about the fact that he can actually make plays for you once in a while too so um i i'll be intrigued to see what shape this offense takes. I assume that you've looked at some of the props. Have some props come out? Have you done the prop masters on TSN as of yet, DT? So we'll have the prop masters as of tomorrow, but okay. we've already, there's some real, there's some real questionable uh, interesting out there. Uh, I have one in particular that I'll, that I want to throw at you at some point, uh, but there are some real questionable uh, wagers out there. A lot of the books are, are pretty sharp on the individual receivers because you can bet individual receivers over under yardage over right. under their receptions. One of them, and just how far it, how much things have changed is Darvin Adams at two receptions over or under. And you go, I kind of don't know what to do with that number. Yeah, it's tough. If, if they do the thing you're talking about with, would, would Adela be shading over Kenny Lawler? Okay. Well, Bailey Adams, the other side of the field, typically. Okay. Well, that might mean good things, but Hamilton can, for as much as we'll hype up Winnipeg's defense, Hamilton's is pretty bleeping good too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The reason I bring up the props is I'm wondering if you off the top of your head, know any of the lines that are on Nick Dembski. And yeah, I, the, the reason I that I, I bring this up is, to me, Nick Dembski is the great question mark, and I'm I'm not huge into uh, you know props and gambling and all that kind of stuff even fantasy, but I think this is an interesting way to frame the conversation of what what should we be expecting from Nick Dembski in mm. this game? And the the reason I bring this up is that he feels like he is the key that unlocks much of their offense, like typical swing guy inside slot back where like you said it can be jet sweeps it can be handoffs in the backfield it can be a wildcat snap for all we know if they want to mix things up even more you know where he's zone reading with with andrew harris out of the gun it could be uh crossing routes underneath they'll throw him vertically i've been studying a little bit of their high crossers kind of like their y over type concepts this week and i mean they love to to switch release Dembski from the field two or the field three and just have him run a climb route like right down the hash and there's been three or four of Zach's 20 touchdowns this year that have come off of that route from the 30 yard line going in. And mm. I'm, th- and I'm thinking like, that's a, that's a Dembski. It's actually, it's the exact route that he ran when he botched the catch and gave it to Ed Ganey. It's that little stutter in climb route right down the hash. And then he just, he, he botched it, punched it in the air and Ganey picked it off. But when I see that, I'm thinking to myself, like Dembski for my money could be easily the runaway most outstanding Canadian in this 108th grade cup. 
or it could just be the Andrew Harris and Kenny Lawler show. And Dembski is yeah. like standing there as the third guy on the outside with like two targets, the whole game. Like I have no idea what to do with him because it feels like he is, he's emblematic of how the Winnipeg blue bombers offense is just going to go with the flow. Like he's the swing yeah. guy of it's towards him or it's away. And it's just how the game unfolds. He doesn't really have a lot of control or he doesn't have assigned targets where they say, we're going to get him this number because. Yeah. Uh, various books uh, have Dembski between 45 and a half and 52 and a half receiving yards for this game. And, uh, the props between four and four and a half receptions for this game. Yeah. Um, I, I took under four and a half receptions cause five is a bunch. And there's, I mean, what Hamilton knows, Hamilton knows there's also rushing props and how many rushing yards will he get and how many carries will he get? And, <laughs> Uh, we're all going to have fights about those little pop passes, right? Where he yes. jets across and they pop it to, what was that a run or was that a pass? How close was we're going to, those are I love the, nightmare right there. There's two things in, in football that I absolutely adore for all of the evolutions. And like, we're, we all feel like we're riding on a spaceship these days when you're watching offensive football because of the specificity and the accuracy and the efficiency. And just, it's so incredibly mechanical most of the time, but mm. we're still measuring first downs with old men running in from 50 yards away. <laughs> Like, like the spot of the football is old dudes from 50 yards away being like, nope, it was right here and putting their foot down. It's like, really? That's how we're judging yeah. that. And the other thing is these pop passes where, it, and for anybody who's watched a lot of games in the CFL this year, you know what this is about, where you're essentially going to end up getting, you know, a quarterback takes the snap and shotgun and he'll either catch it, put it in his hands and literally hand it off to somebody going across his face, or he'll catch it and just tap it forward to him. Uh, yeah. and, and, and that counts as a pass and the handoff counts as a run. And it's like, I feel like that's really screwy for the people who are trying to maintain statistics and the record books over time. But we use that when I was at Mac as an advantage because our offensive coordinator was like, let's boost our passing numbers. Like, why would we not at the end of the game? <laughs> Is that the, why? Yeah. Well, he actually said to me, he's like, that's terrible. Like, like it's a, he basically said, it's a quicker way to get the football to the point of attack but it's also going to boost our passing number. So at the end of the game, when you've thrown for 375 yards instead of 275, it's like, that looks like, I want to help you, you know, whether it's award season, otherwise he's like, we have no reason not to use this in this way. Both of these teams use this in a variety of ways. And, and it's just amazing to think that football has not evolved to the point where we've actually come to a determination of like, let's treat this as that. Cause it, on the fly here, since this pop pass has started existing out of the shotgun, We've basically just been like, I don't know, let's just call it a pass because I guess he's not handing it off. But for me, when I when I mark it in my tracking, I've stopped assigning it an accuracy grade because for a while yeah. I, I was like, yeah, you know, that's perfect accuracy. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why am I giving a, a ball that's thrown 35 yards down the seam looping over a linebacker in front of a free safety, a, like a four out of five on accuracy? And I'm giving a six inch tap of the ball, the exact same grade. I'm like, eh, those, those two things don't feel like they're really uh, equals necessarily in the grand landscape of, uh, of all things, CFL football and quarterback accuracy. But anyways, that's my depth diet. Adjusted, that's my diet adjusted diet accuracy. <laughs> yes, exactly. There you go. You got to adjust for depth. Yeah. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. And I don't know why anyone would ever hand that ball off ever again. Uh, if, if you know, the play is Dembski is going to jet across in front of you from field to boundary. If you hand it off to him and there's a problem, it's a fumble. If you throw it up in the air, it's 99.9% as easy. Like it's probably the same for Dembski. Right. If it's, if it doesn't get the Dembski, there's a problem. It's incomplete. And that yeah. 
that won't factor in much, but when it does, it's it's a huge, huge difference. The pass was incomplete. It'll be second down. Oh, my goodness. We just saved our lives just for the sake of instead of, you know, handing it, it's just boop, pop it in the air, tap it, whatever you want to call it. But, yeah, I don't know why anyone would ever hand that off again unless you're he's co- coming in behind you and then which in which case do whichever you like better. I had a good uh, laugh with one of my old coaches, John Behe, the other day where we were talking about this. And, and he said, we instituted that at McMaster right after we saw. And I said, oh, that was when that was when Clemson used it. And they just beat the snot out of West Virginia. And he goes, no, it was the other way around. West Virginia just killed Clemson with these little jet sweeps and pop out. They had like four touchdown passes in a bowl game against Clemson when they ran that play. And yeah. I thought, and I thought, damn, that tells you how long ago that was that West Virginia was beating the hell out of Clemson. I'm like, that's <laughs> that's been a while that we've gotten uh, a result like that, it feels. Oh, until this year, I guess, because Clemson was kind of trash this year. But anyways, yeah. uh, so now we are looking at uh, the the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in this offense. And we know the other thing I wanted to to kind of circle back on with Winnipeg before we talk a little bit about the Ticats here is uh, what do we expect, if anything, Hamilton to try and do against Winnipeg's pass rush? Because I haven't gone back and watched every snap of 2019 and every snap of week one this year when they played against each other. But my sense is that there really hasn't been any help to those tackles and really either of those games. Like I know when I was in Calgary in 2013 for training camp, they had built in bomber protection systems where it was like, listen, we'll just tag a play if we need some added protection on a defensive end to chip them where, you know, we'll say bomber 64 chip was essentially the protection call. And that essentially just took the boundary slot backs route and said, Mm -hmm. forget about whatever your route is. Your job is to chip and release on this play. Like you're a check down now, basically. And I'm really starting to wonder, I mean, Chris Van Zyl obviously has been, I think, exceptional in this playoff run, these two games for Hamilton, but he really struggled in 2019 in the Grey Cup against Willie Jefferson. Like that was a big, big problem. And then you on the other side have Jordan Murray or Vorn call or whatever it's going to be at the left tackle. And it's like, I think that they are a downgrade from Riker Matthews. Like, it's pretty easy to see. It's a downgrade. So are you going to leave something? I mean, Riker Matthews had his struggles as well in that Grey Cup game. Are you going to leave either one of those guys on an island consistently, especially on second and long, when you know that Willie, fully motivated and healthy, is terrifying, like we saw in week one? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Is it is it time for more Kalinich, right? When the, yeah. when the riders noticed that they were having problems, they started, okay, now Alexander Dupuis is a real thing, right? Now here's three backs. Uh, here's, here's the three receiver to the field. He's going to, he's going to stay in there. The, the Ticats don't really have the benefit of the three receiver staying in because that's Tim White or Brandon Banks. And <laughs> I, I rather have those guys running routes, right? So is there more Kalinich? Is there, if you're winning, I mean, Winnipeg has the advantage of Andrew Harris being fantastic at that, uh, whatever you call it, read and release, whatever coaches actually call it, where anybody, any problems? No, I'm going to go catch a pass yeah. or I'm going to pick up these blocks. I just had to pull it up because these are the numbers I had uh, for, for our game in the West final uh, second and medium Winnipeg blitzes 60% of the time this season. Uh, the league average is about 40. They're coming to kill you on second and medium. <laughs> Saskatchewan would do it on second and long. And a lot of teams will come, oh, second and long, we're going to bring it. But uh, they're actually far below the league average on second and long at blitzing. Second and medium where they're going to want to kill you. Uh, so interesting. what do you have in there? And the, the interesting thing that you see, um, coaches will talk to us about second and long, second and medium, second and short, as I go off on a minor tangent here. But second and, second and long kind of ends at second and four. Honestly, because 
Second and three gets closer to 50-50 run-pass ratio. Just Let's just be all ready for second and long being everything, unless Don Jackson can pull out some eight- and nine-yard runs on first down. Get me ready for a second second and long situations, and, and here come the guys trying to kill you. And this season, it's been Adam Big Hill trying to kill you. So does are you going to have – I don't know. I don't even know what receiver they could use apart from a guy like Kalinich to – pick up a full steam ahead. I led the league in quarterback pressures among linebackers, Adam Big Hill. Uh, yeah, that's a great one. And just hearing you talk about first down runs, by the way, I, I went back through earlier today and was looking at my tweets from this week in 2019, right? Like okay. in, in around the Great Cup. And I had one the morning after the Great Cup that said Andrew Harris averaged 7.5 yards per carry on 14 first down carries in the gray cup in 2019 yeah. he had 14 first down carries with an average yeah. of 7.5 yards that means 14 times in that gray cup you were looking at second and short like if that's not going to open your playbook what is like that that's insane to me he only had three second down carries in that game which tells me that they would get this huge 7.5 yard average on first down and then because the playbook was wide open, they're like, we don't even have to worry about running it again and trying to beat you. We're just going to take our shots, take our risks on second down. But the one thing is that of the three carries that Andrew Harris had in the 2019 Grey Cup on second down, just three of them, one of them was the 26-yard backbreaker on second and 17. So again, mm -hmm. it was like, obviously, we know it was a charmed night for Andrew Harris and for the Bombers running game. But that's, that's an amazing aspect of this rematch to me is... Can Hamilton like actually, and I'm not saying this facetiously, can Hamilton actually handle their bleep on first down against the Bombers run? Because if they can't, I don't know if anything else in this conversation matters. Like if Andrew Harris is going to average seven yards per carry on first down again, like he did in 2019. It's over. Talking about Dane Evans and talking about Speedy B and the kicking game and all the, I don't think anything else matters. Like that's the whole game to me right there. Then you get into a troubling, troubling spot, right? If you commit to the run on first down, yep. uh, I, I would way rather have the, have teams. I would uh, openly encourage teams to run against me on first down, just because you know the difference between run and pass. And even with Winnipeg's the one team that might be the outlier, where last season they were fractionally better running on first down at achieving things like second and short. Uh, let me pull this up as we're discussing it here uh this season winnipeg running the ball uh, they were actually significantly better passing the ball on first and 10 at getting seven plus yards they were 44 percent of the time they would do it the the other thing to that is pretend you do commit and send and uh and get the stop relative stop right you force them into second and long what coaches call second and medium uh, Zach Caleros is still unbelievable on second and long situations so this season uh 104 passer rating uh, leads the league like well and that's that was one of the things that I as I flash back to the the two games the Riders played against them this season was oh they they stopped the running back short okay well here's Zach on second and seven here's Zach on second and nine and he just bing bong boom 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 and there's honestly you can't how do you beat that and that, the answer is I don't know I have, I have absolutely no idea at that point if you stop the run and they still kill you on second and ten you're just you're done you're we done, were so. we were taping an aerial report this week at the Canadian Warplane Heritage Museum, and uh, I was supposed to talk about a weakness for Zach Kalaros, and I told my producer right before we shot, I'm like, I don't have, I'm sorry, I don't have one. 
I said, there's like, uh, do you want me to criticize him for not running for 400 yards this year? Cause I'm like, I really don't care. I'm like this zero is, design runs. There you yeah, go. Boom. Yeah. Done. That's I, I'm, it. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I don't care about any of that. And so, and so yeah. on, on the actual aerial report, I just said like, in terms of weakness for Zach and I looked into the camera and I said, do you have any, like, I'm asking the person, I'm like, what do you think is the weakness? Like, what do you think is, is the grand fault that's going to, to have him fall apart in this gray cup rematch of 2021 because this is what's amazing to me is people will always point to the interceptions without context, right? Like the Dembski one, that shouldn't have been an interception. That should have been a touchdown. Like that should have changed the game very early on. Then the other two interceptions, yeah, there's a couple of bad ones in there, but he still finishes despite throwing three interceptions and one that shouldn't be with over 80% completion rate. And he still has crazy high efficiency and he still has a ton of yards in that weather, in those conditions. And so I just, I was thinking to myself like, you know, if people want to reference the three interceptions, I'm looking at the throw to throw, how he's making his decisions, getting through his progressions and throwing the ball with accuracy and confidence. I'm like, he does that in every situation, his own end of the field, in the score zone, first down, second down, um, you know, five wide package, heavy package in play action from the pocket, moving the pocket. Like his game is so well-rounded right now that I'm just, I don't know how Hamilton is supposed to handle this when it's Harris beating you up on first down if he wants, like 2019, and Kalara was attacking you on second down. Like you said, do you load it up and try to get Zach to beat you on first down? Okay, he's probably going to. So, like, do you want to lose by Harris seven yards at a time or by Kalara on 60-yard touchdowns? Like, that's a real question, unless your secondary plays out of their mind and finds a way to force the hand of the Bombers in the second half to play in a style that they just don't want to. Yeah, I... Uh... Just looking at Caleros, number three, completion percentage above expected in the CFL, three points better, and number three in adjusted passing accuracy in the CFL. He's he's on point. The the only th- I mean is is maybe the best thing for Hamilton to go, all right. Well, look at look at this front. Dylan Wynn can get home. Jagera Davis has been spectacular oh, good. Uh, the last little little bit. Uh Hauser can do his damage. It hasn't been Ted Laurent's year, but we, Ted Laurent is still there. Is it just do what Calgary does and rush four and drop eight and force Zach to, but then uh, Zach smart, but is, is that the answer? Because you know, you have a good front, you know, they have a good front and you just have to go, Hey, uh, Jagarit, I need you to beat Jamarcus Hardrick on this play. I need you to beat Stanley Bryant. It's it, this only works Dylan. I need you to take uh, Drew Desjardins and throw him into the stands. Like, is that your, <laughs> is that your best hope? And then maybe sprinkle in, well, Santos Knox has got responsibilities and it's, I, I, I honestly, I'm just trying to formulate anything in my head for slowing down the best offense in the league. And then we haven't even addressed the question necessarily of how do you get past the best defense in the league too? Yeah. Well, and I guess to be fair to anybody listening to this, who either wants a close game or wants a Ticats victory. These are the exact same conversations that were being had going into 2016 and 2017 when the Calgary Stampeders were taking on Ottawa and Toronto. It was like, oh, yeah. how are you supposed to beat the Calgary Stampeders? You can't. Well, guess what? They did. Like both both times, they found a way to be able to defeat them. Now, the way that Toronto got it done, I don't think anybody could have predicted if you bet a million dollars on somebody saying, yeah, two major 100-yard touchdowns. That's what's going to be the difference. It's like nobody had any clue. But forcing... That Ottawa team had four 1,000-yard receivers, right? Like that right. was an offense. Yeah, yeah. Like they could move the rock and they did in that game, but it was a matter of getting those interceptions off bow and flipping field position that nobody really saw coming. Um, so th- the point of bringing that up is there's always a way. There's always, in the Grey Cup, will always 
I believe almost like bad weather does or a sloppy field, the Grey Cup will always take the the difference between teams. And I'm not saying make it 50-50, but it'll always squeeze the margins a little bit closer just because the moment is so big that Mm -hmm. regardless of what players say, there's going to be a time in this game where you're going to say to yourself, oh, these teams look like they're evenly matched. Like, I don't care what the records are throughout the year. These two teams are playing one game for one championship. You only get one shot at this. And if Winnipeg doesn't take advantage, Hamilton's got every opportunity. I really, really, really cannot wait to feel what the crowd is going to be like on Sunday because Winnipeg fans travel incredibly. And because they were so good so early, yeah, they probably bought their Grey Cup tickets for diehard Bombers fans that are making the trip months ago. So they probably have a large contingent but I'm telling you, I don't think anything is going to sound like a home Hamilton Great Cup crowd because I've heard Hamilton on Labor Day. It's stupid. And this is a whole nother level <laughs> of that crowd. And it's at night and it's for a championship. So I'm going yeah. to be in the crowd. I'm going to be wandering around. I'm just getting in with my press pass and then wandering and hopefully find somewhere to sit up high and be able to kind of see the X's and O's of the game. But I really wonder what impact that crowd is going to have on that squeezing of the margins that I talk about. Uh, if you are a Hamilton fan who's going to the game, you're going to need to do it in the first three quarters because there is there's nothing uh, that's going to be available for you in the fourth. This is the the bet I wanted to put to put out, Mark. Yes, yeah. Uh, you can at this moment go and get uh, fourth quarter, and the point spread in the fourth quarter is Winnipeg minus zero point five. So you're saying that in the fourth quarter, Winnipeg will outscore by Hamilton by one point or more if you take with the Winnipeg side of that. Through fourteen weeks, I saw that wager and I went. Wait a minute. That that seems weird. <laughs> Through 14 weeks, after which point Winnipeg stopped caring about things and just got ready for this Grey Cup game. Hamilton allowed 96 points in fourth quarters through 14 weeks. Yeah. Winnipeg allowed six <laughs> points through 14 weeks of fourth quarters. Yeah. Six points. <sighs> and Hamilton is minus, or Winnipeg is minus 0.5 in the fourth quarter. So one run. And take that wager. And two, if you're Hamilton, you got to figure it out in the first three quarters because whatever last year's the 2019 Grey Cup was six nothing Winnipeg in the fourth quarter. Two Medlock field goals. Hamilton got nothing. So what do you do with that? And because you have 45 minutes to get your stuff together and make it be good, you can't have the Masoli whatever on earth that start was in the East East final. Uh, uh, Dane Evans, confidence level in Dane Evans if you're a Ticats fan, Marsh. Uh, you know what? Honestly, eight out of 10. Like I, I, I'm really, I'm, okay. and, and that's not necessarily confidence level to go out and get the victory. For me, it's confidence level and he'll give us the best opportunity to win the game. Like I think just from what we saw from Jeremiah in that, in that game, that's not, that's not the type of football you need to beat them. Know what it honestly looked like? Jeremiah week one. And yes. Jer- Jeremiah yeah. week one was thrown off the back foot, thrown sideways, getting wrangled in the pocket, felt uncomfortable, felt just every time the snap came up early in that game, it just felt risky. And it's not as though Dane is, I think, leaps and bounds better as a quarterback, but on his best days, like a 16 for 16 type of best days, he is better than Jeremiah Masoli. Like, I feel very confident in saying that. So um, Dane, I mean, the you mentioned the fourth quarter and needing to take care of work in the first couple of quarters. For me, this really comes down to, can you avoid what happened in 2019? Again, there's so many direct comparisons because the first five offensive plays of the 2019 Grey Cup was Tyrell Sutton run, Tyrell Sutton run, interception on the overthrow to Jalen Acklin on the crossing route, 
They come mm-hmm. off the field after the interception. When they go back on the field, it's sack, sack, punt. And at that point, you're down 7 nothing. Andrew Harris has got the wheels turning. And yeah, it's still a close game. You're still in it. But the momentum from the very beginning was like, whoa, this is tilted yeah. towards Winnipeg from the very get-go because you just you throw the interception on your first pass attempt and your first start in the Grey Cup and your essentially like second year in the CFL. It's just like that. that's a bad spot to be in. And I, I looked as well at uh, Winnipeg's run-pass splits uh, based on score differential going mm-hmm. into this one. And when they're down by 15 or more, just kidding, they've never been down by 15 or more this year. Uh, <laughs> down by 11 to 15 points, Winnipeg throws it 71% of the time. Down 6 to 10, they throw it 71% of the time. Down 5 points or less, they throw it 54% of the time. So all of a sudden, there's a, t- yeah. a 17% drop in their pass play call percentage there. When they're tied, Winnipeg runs it at 60% of the time. When they're up from one to five points, 61%. Up by six to 10, 61%. Up by 11 to 15 points, 54, 54%. And when they're up big by 15 or more, Winnipeg passes the ball just 36% of the time is what I have for this year. So that, yeah. da- that danger zone for any team playing against the Bombers is where you, where you go down essentially by more than five points because that's when they're like, Got you right where we want you. We're just going to beat the hell out of you from now until the game is over. And for every defense, it's like, oh, do we have the, the ability to fight for four quarters in a close game where we're trailing by just a couple to survive and survive and not wear down and make enough plays to get stops and get off the field and give our offense a chance? It's got to be exhausting to play against this Winnipeg front when they're controlling the game and it's a five-point game either direction. Yeah, and that's where the fourth quarter comes in, right? Like when you when you lay it on the graph, like the the pass run splits really come out in the fourth quarter. Most teams stay fairly even regardless of the situation. But the fourth quarter, if Winnipeg could run the ball 100% of the time in the fourth quarter of the game, they'd be deliriously happy to do that, yeah. right? If it was six yards on first down, okay, four yards on second down. Six yards on first down, three, McGuire gets one, and they would just absolutely suffocate you if they could. It's the pillow on the face uh, moment for them. They'd be happy to do that. Uh, sometimes they'll need Zach to save them in those situations because, you know, second and eight, but they're so good if they get to that fourth quarter at just snuffing out your life. And they have the they have the tools to get you there. And Hamilton, I mean, Hamilton was the team we thought would be here out of the East, right? At the beginning yeah. of the season, we both would have said Hamilton and we would have said Hamilton, Winnipeg, Hamilton, maybe Edmonton. Let's forget we ever thought Edmonton was a real team. <laughs> though that wager still stares me in the face when I look up one of my books. Anyway, um, this is this is the matchup we thought for the reasons we thought. And Hamilton's not exactly as healthy as I had hoped from, you know, from, you know, the, the week of training camp, the first week of training camp. But they're pretty close. The D-line's back. The O-line's troubled. They found their receivers. They have Don Jackson going. The defense, nice. Uh this is this is a pretty good this is a good matchup. I'm just afraid that if Hamilton gets down, if if Evans has that start that you mentioned again, I, I could almost turn the game off after the, the second drive because Winnipeg will just eat their lunch. They're not turning the ball over six times in consecutive games. They're gonna get that part right. And that was the only thing that made the West Final close. Yeah, it's so true. Uh, DT, let people know where they can follow you all the way leading up to the Grey Cup, what you got going on, whether it's on the uh, the Prop Masters side, radio, and everything else. At DT on SC on Twitter, uh, 620 CKRM. I'm on the radio from uh, 
5 to 7.30 Eastern time, 4 to 6.30 here in Saskatchewan. Talking a ton about the Grey Cup on Thursday and Friday as well. And yes, the Prop Masters at tsn.ca will be out on Friday. We'll have all your best and wackiest wagers for the Grey Cup. We were, what, 18 of 20 in our prop bets in last year's Grey Cup, including the National Anthem. And will Nicole (laughs) Kidman appear at the Grey Cup? So uh, follow us and enjoy. There you go. Make yourself some money off of DT. As always, thanks to him. And as always, thanks to our good friends at Sawdust City Brewing and, of course, Fox 40 for being supporters of all things Canadian football perspective. And you can say thank you to them by showing up to our Grey Cup tailgate coming up. It is Sunday this week, 1 to 3 p.m. Merritt Brewing in downtown Hamilton. We hope that we see a bunch of you out there. There's only 75 person capacity because it's this great little spot that's in downtown Hamilton. So if you want to get there, they open up at noon. Our event is officially from 1 until 3 but we're looking forward to seeing as many of you out there as we possibly can and, uh, and give a couple of fist bumps and say a couple of hellos and enjoy some great Ontario craft beer as well. And uh, looking forward to having that coming up. And then, of course, we head down to the stadium and all hell breaks loose from there. We get to find out who ends up winning the 108th Great Cup. Uh, as always, thanks to DT. Thanks to our supporters. And uh, thank you to you for downloading and listening. We'll talk to you coming up next week on the final edition of The Breakdown in 2021, the recap of the Great Cup. Who wins? Uh, DT? Anything? Uh, uh? uh, Hamilton. <laughs>